Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. Last week in our More Than Conquerors series, we started looking at the topic of stress. Stress, as we know, is a very normal part of life, and there are many different contributors to stress. Stress is not something, unfortunately, that's just going to magically disappear or go away for good, but the good news, as we started to look at last week, is that God gives us gifts to endure stress. We looked last week at the gift of Sabbath and how God designed us with a need to rest, how God, first of all, set an example for us in resting after uh, six days of creation. And for a couple different reasons, he wanted, first of all, to enjoy his creation, this beautiful creation that he had just made, take time to take it all in and to enjoy it, but also to set an example for us in resting. He knew that we were going to need rest from our labor. Today, we're going to be looking at another gift that God gives us to endure stress. It's very countercultural. It's not something that's naturally built into our human nature, and it goes against much of our everyday norms. And that gift is silence and solitude. It's kind of two wrapped up into one, silence and solitude. And with this gift, God once again gives us an example to follow, this time in the person of Jesus Christ, which is what we're going to look at today, the example of Jesus in spending time in silence and solitude. As we know, Jesus was fully God and at the same time fully human. It's a mystery that we're never going to fully understand or never fully comprehend. Fully God and at the same time fully human. But even God himself, in the person of Jesus— Think about this for a second. Experienced stress. He experienced exhaustion. He knew that he needed regularly to take time to pause from the hurry and the worry and the everyday demands of life and even in his short three-year ministry here on earth. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. Take out a Bible if you brought one. Otherwise, there's plenty of Bibles kind of scattered uh, underneath the chairs. Uh, If if there's one in front of you, you are a winner today. (laughs) Uh, If you find a Bible in front of you, encourage you to take out a Bible and just open the pages of Scripture. I believe that there is this great power just in opening up the written word, whether it be on a a phone or a paper Bible. Mark chapter 1. We're going to see here what What Jesus does after one of his busiest, fullest, and probably one of the most emotionally draining days of his earthly ministry. Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, as Mark starts out writing, he had called his first disciples, and we come to verse 21. It says that he entered into the city of Capernaum, And it notes specifically that it was on the Sabbath day. And when he arrives there, he immediately goes into the synagogue to teach. We read on, while he was there in the synagogue, 
he heals a man with an unclean spirit. Jesus, in his great power and in his authority, he rebukes the unclean spirit. Verse 26, it says, And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, it says, came out of him. And it says that everyone was amazed. And they started to question, like, who is this guy? He just shows up into town and comes right into the synagogue, and here he heals this man of this unclean spirit. Who is he? And from there, word just spread like wildfire about Jesus. Today's language, we would say Jesus, went, word went viral. Word went viral about Jesus. Verse 28, it says, At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now we move on, and this is the same day. Same day, Jesus moves on, and he goes to the house of Simon and Andrew, it says. It notes that Simon's mother-in-law is there, and she is severely ill. We don't know uh, what the illness was, but it was severe. They're probably wondering if she was even going to make it. In verse 31, Jesus comes to the rescue, and it says, And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. So another incredible miracle on this same day. Then we continue on the same day. Verse 32, listen to this. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. I want you to pause for a second. Think about this. Think now about the stress and the emotional trauma that Jesus would have been dealing with in this day and in this moment. Remember, this day is supposed to be over. It's sundown. But no, for Jesus, his day is just starting. Because now the Sabbath is over. When the sun went down on the Sabbath, the Sabbath rules are over. It was a free-for-all. The people previously, when it was the Sabbath before sundown, couldn't carry the sick to Jesus without violating Sabbath laws. And so now the sun's down and it is a race. It's a race to get to Jesus. And verse 32 again describes it this way. All who were sick or oppressed by demons. And it says that he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Think about this. Talk about draining. What a mess. Imagine what a mess this would have been. What a scene this would have been. I mean, who knows the condition of all these people, the masses of people that were brought to Jesus. Likely people who were dirty or bleeding or horrible coughs, probably many invalids. Imagine the compound stress of all these people brought to Jesus. And then to top it all off, 
all in one place. It says many more who were oppressed by demons. We can only imagine the sounds, the tension that was felt, the shrieks, the darkness and the oppression that was felt by the people that stood there. Amazement, I'm sure, after every healing. But the problems, the stress, the emotional trauma that was brought to Jesus, all brought to him. And we'd like to think for a second, well, but it's Jesus. He can, he can handle this. And the truth is, he can. But we often forget that he felt the same emotions that we feel. He experienced human feelings. And even though he was fully God, nothing shielded him from this collective brokenness in these moments. Scripture says, Isaiah 53, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The gospel writings note regularly how Jesus, specifically note how Jesus was filled with compassion. And when that's written, when we read that, this is a way of saying that Jesus displayed physically the emotions that he, that he was feeling. How else would they know to write that down? His face and his body showed that he was deeply moved. And it was no different here on this long night of, of dealing with all sorts of diseases and, and demonic oppression. And so what does Jesus do? What does the Son of God do after an extremely emotionally taxing day? This is what we're going to more specifically look at here. What does he do? Mark 1, 35. He slept in. <laughs> no, he did not sleep in. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Now what I want us to see as we look at this is not so much just the exact thing that Jesus did that we should do too, that we should get up right and early in the morning and go off to a, a, a desolate place. I'm not going to focus as much on that this morning, but I want us to see an intentional pattern that Jesus sets forth before us that we should follow, and not only should, that he invites us to follow. As we're looking at enduring stress, this idea of silence and, and solitude is a gift from God where he invites us to come before him and to be aware of his presence. See, Jesus' need is the same need that we have. When we're stressed and when we're depleted, when we're exhausted from our work or just the worries and cares of the world around us. Psalm 46, 10, a famous line from Scripture says it very simple command, very simply, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What we regularly need in the 
midst of our demands, the demands of, of work, the demands of school. It's, it's the end of the year, and everyone's starting to feel it. The demands of school, declining health, dealing with sickness and diseases, dealing with pain and loss. The command is to be still. In Psalm 46.10, we often remember this part about, yeah, be still. Be still and know. But know what? We have to be still to know and to hear the voice of God. And this is what God says. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 46 starts out, making us aware of the trouble and the, and the trials that we're facing. Psalm 46, 1, it starts out by saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And how do we know and remember that he is present? It's by being still before him and being aware and being silent so that we can hear from him. So how do we know and remember that he is our refuge and strength? And how do we know that he's present in our hardships? How do we know that he's present in our stress? Or as Romans 8 puts it, describes these issues, these problems, these threats that would, would, would dare to separate us from the love of Christ. Romans 8, it lists tribulation, distress, persecution, hunger, danger, being threatened with death, we know and remember by being still, silent before him, alone with God. That's what Jesus did. This is hard for us, though. Dallas Willard, some of you might know him, a author, famous author, describes Silence and solitude as the two most radical disciplines of the Christian life. He describes it this way. Solitude is the practice of being absent from people and things to attend to God. Absent from people and things to attend to God. Let's face it. What are the things that stress us out the most? It's usually other people and it's things. Things that are going on around us. And then he describes silence as the practice of quieting every inner and outer voice to attend to God. So it's all about attending to God and being aware of his work in our lives and being aware that he is constantly with us, that he is always present. Kind of goes without saying how much we live in a world full of noise and distractions. Think of all the noises you hear on any given day. You hear sirens. You hear those text message notifications come in. Or even the vibrating, that has kind of a sound to it, doesn't it? <laughs> when it's sitting on your, and, and your phone's going crazy, it's bouncing all over your counter. The sounds of other people and, and demands. TV going on, that you hear the news and the trauma going on in the world. You hear it in the background. 
Whatever it might be, our, our world is full of noise and distractions. And so much so, we've gotten so used to this, that most people fear silence. In fact, studies say that the average group can only bear 15 seconds of silence. Fifteen seconds. <laughs> How many hearts are beating a little faster? <laughs> Where is it going with this? This is awkward. We fear silence because our world's so noisy. But Jesus knew this, and he regularly withdrew from people and, and things and paused daily life activities and even the demands of ministry to be alone with his heavenly father and to pray. Let me ask this. If prayer was necessary for Jesus, how necessary must it be for us? If Jesus was going to be giving and healing and encouraging and teaching and traveling on to the next place. He knew he would need to receive. Fully God, yes, but also fully human and in need of refreshment and most importantly, in need of connection with his heavenly Father. And so how can we be intentional about silence and solitude. With God, the, the goal is, is to, be, to hear from God, to be aware of his presence, to be in his presence, and the goal to be spiritually filled, to receive all that he wants to give us. Well, we see here this pattern that Jesus sets before us. Now, what's really important is that this didn't just happen. Jesus was very intentional about what he did. And we're gonna, if we're going to endure stress, we also need to be intentional about receiving from God and hearing from him. And so with our remaining time, I, I'm going to go through these relatively quickly, but I want to give you some, some practical necessities, some necessities for making intentional time for silence and solitude with God. And we see this in the example of Jesus. And the first is intentional time. Note that Jesus chose an intentional time. Verse 35, as we read, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Now Jesus had to have been exhausted, healing people likely well into the night. And yet he knew that if he was going to keep going and continue on in ministry. He needed more than just sleep. And so very early in the morning while it was still dark. That's what Jesus needed to do. That's what worked for him. He was smart enough to know that the next day people are going to come again with demands and, and needs. And his best option in that morning was to get up and to escape before anyone else saw him. But that was then, in that specific time. And I know what some of you are probably thinking. You maybe are thinking about like, I've heard this before. 
I've heard many pastors tell me that I need to get up bright and early in the morning and have my quiet time, and it's just never worked. So I guess that's what I need to do. No, that's not what I'm getting at. See, even Jesus didn't always get up early in the morning. Sometimes he, con- he had his time of connection with his heavenly Father in the middle of the day. Sometimes it was late at night. One specific time in the Gospels, it mentions that he was on a mountainside all night praying. Maybe that was because he fell asleep in the boat. Or, or maybe he fell asleep in the boat because he was praying all night long. No, I don't know. But it says another time that he withdraws in a boat to go off by himself, not really by himself, but to commune, to deepen his relationship and experience that wonderful connection, that incredible connection, deep intimacy that he had with his heavenly father. And the point I'm making here is that this is a principle, that the principle is an intentional time. So for you, when is a time that you won't be bothered? Or maybe you're a person who you live and breathe by a schedule, like you have everything scheduled on your calendar. And maybe you literally need to schedule in time for silence and and prayer before God, even if it's a short amount of time, so that you know that that time is blocked off. So when someone then asks, you know, nope, I've got a commitment. It's a safe answer. I have a commitment. An intentional, it could be an intentional time in the middle of your work day. Maybe it's just for five or ten minutes at the end of your lunch break. I guarantee you, if you don't plan a time, if you're not intentional about a time, to plan a time, I guarantee you someone else will plan a time for you. And that someone else might be your phone. It might be your TV. It might be your boss. It might be your homework. So an intentional time. What do we see next in this pattern that Jesus sets before us is an intentional place. For Jesus, in this specific moment, it was a desolate place, it says. Because he knew it would be a place where he would be free from distractions. I have an aunt and uncle um, grew up with near them. They had five kids, and the youngest are twins, and when the twins were born, they had five kids under the age of five. Yeah, I mean, imagine the stressful moments of especially those first few years with lots of little kids, five uh, under the age of five. And I remember my aunt telling Christy and I, encouraging us a few years ago, she said, sometimes I just needed to go for a drive. There were many times where I just needed to see my house in my rearview mirror. (laughs) We resonated with that. (laughs) And we've even found that sometimes our silence is turning an audio book on in the car and going for a little drive and turning it, you know, so that the sound is primarily in the back of the car, you know. But a place, that place could be in your car. It could be for three minutes when you pull into your driveway after work to turn the radio off, to set your phone down, and just to simply be quiet and still before God 
and to pray. It could be an early morning prayer hike or a, a, a walk after school. And that place, it could be your back patio, it could be your front porch, or it could be a chair in the, in the back corner of your bedroom. The exact place doesn't matter, but what matters is finding a place that works. And here's the thing, when that place stops working, because <laughs> often it does, you find a new place. So an intentional time, intentional place. Third, an intentional connection. So it's not enough to just find that right time and that right place. What is the purpose? The purpose is connection with our Heavenly Father. Jesus was intentional about where he went, but he was also intentional about what he did while he was there. Verse 35 simply says, and there he prayed. Now, one of the reasons that we have such a hard time with this, like it might seem a little abstract, well, yeah, 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 I need to have time of silence and solitude before God so I can pray and deepen my relationship with my Heavenly Father. But it just can seem so abstract and difficult because here's why. Here's, I'm convinced it's because we overcomplicate prayer. We feel like we have to have it all together when we come before God. Or that we have to know exactly what to pray. Like, I've got to come to God with, like, a full-out, you know, written-out, you know, journal entry, a prayer for him. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But sometimes we overcomplicate it to have the right words. But let me ask you this. If, you know, you go out on a date with a boyfriend or girlfriend or a fiancé or your husband or wife? Do you spend time, like, beforehand, you know, making a whole list of all the things that you, you want to tell them or ask them? Maybe early on in your relationship. But as time goes on, the, the importance is just being together. To not plan out the words. You just look forward to being together and and conversing and tuning out all the extra noise and and just focusing on each other. And that's what God wants. And sometimes that means silence. Now, when I talk about this, I'm aware, too, that there are many solid Bible-believing Christians that think this is kind of silly or maybe are a little scared of this idea of just being silent in prayer before God because it's maybe a little bit too, um, too much of like an emotional or spiritual experience. And like really just sitting, like, you know, it just t- almost sounds too meditative, maybe a little bit too personal for me. But what does Scripture say? Scripture speaks a lot about being still and silent before God, but with purpose, to simply be aware of him, to be in his presence and to acknowledge his presence. Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Psalm 62, David writes this, expresses this, For God alone my soul waits in silence. 
And I want you to think about this one, this example. One of the most stressful moments recorded in all the scriptures. Remember the Israelites as they left Egypt. They're there standing by the Red Sea, thinking that their doom is sure. As they see off in the distance, Pharaoh and his army chasing after them. They have no place to go. They are trapped. Exodus 14, 13, and 14, we read, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And if that was true, as Pharaoh's army was about to attack, can it be true right now for the stresses that we face in life? But what about when you don't know what to pray? What are some practical things here? Sometimes we don't have the words. But one gift that God gives us is the gift of the Psalms. And I encourage you, if you're at a loss for words in your prayers, just Open the book of Psalms. We spent several weeks looking at different Psalms not too long ago on Sunday mornings. A Psalm for all seasons. There are written prayers for times of distress. There are written prayers for times of grief and sadness. There are written prayers for times of joy, times of victory. There are prayers written for times where we feel attacked for all different seasons of life. Just simply open the book of Psalms and start praying some of those words that are expressed. I have another great resource I love to use quite a bit. It's called the Lutheran Book of Prayer. And this book is full of just short written prayers for all different types of occasions. Daily prayers, there's a morning prayer and there's an evening prayer and there's four different sets so you can take the whole month and pray a morning prayer, a short morning prayer and a a short evening prayer and go on to the next week and then after a month you can go back and start again on week one. Another book I have that's been such a blessing to me, um, I read this book not too long ago by Pete Scazzaro. I highly encourage it. Um, the book itself is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Now, don't get scared by the title, like that it's some kind of emotional experience or whatever. Um, really what his premise is, is, is helping disciples of Jesus grow emotionally, to, to develop into emotionally mature disciples, because most of us are actually um, emotionally immature, And that's an area that God wants us to grow in our emotional maturity. And and he has a day-by-day, it's a devotional that has a short scripture reading and a short prayer um, twice a day. See, it really encourages, don't just make it all about one time a day. Take a couple of short moments during your day. I mentioned John Eldritch, that book, Get Your Life Back, last week. And he talks a lot about what he calls the one-minute pause. The one-minute pause to pray. And he has made it a regular practice, this idea of silence and solitude, just to take one minute, maybe not just once a day, maybe a few different times during your day, to simply pause and pray a simple prayer. God, I give everyone and everything to you. 
God, I know you're with me. I give it all to you. I give everyone and everything to you. We have another written prayer in Scripture, the Lord's Prayer. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. That was a big question or a big request. Teach us to pray. And Jesus gave them what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. He could have said anything. But in the Lord's Prayer, we acknowledge before God who he is, that he is holy. We come before him and and ask that he would provide our daily needs, our daily bread, our necessities in life. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for the power and the strength to forgive others. And we give him all the honor and the glory. We pray for a deliverance from our enemies, deliverance from evil. It doesn't have to be so complicated, and it doesn't have to be long either. Maybe that one minute or three minutes for you is, is more than what's, what, what you're doing now as a way to connect with God. The fourth necessity is intentional protection. This is so extremely important because, as we know, the demands of life never stop. There's always going to be somebody that needs something from us. And here, Jesus is intentional about the time and the place and about his purpose of prayer and connection with God because he knew it was going to protect him from the demands and distractions that would come his way, but for the right amount of time. Because look what happens as we read on. Look back in Mark 1, 36 through 37. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. They not only just looked, went out looking. When it says that they searched, what this, the language here means is that they pursued strenuously. They looked frantically for Jesus. All these people are, they're probably feeling responsible. They frantically pursue Jesus, strenuously pursue Jesus. Now what a great reason Think about Jesus, a great reason to have everyone out on the search for you. (laughs) They find you praying. (laughs) But Jesus had, by then, already had that time. And now he was ready. He was ready to keep going, ready for the next thing, not because they found him and pulled him away, but because he was filled and ready and ready for the next task that God had before him. One commentator writes this, I resonate with this so much. He says, prayer will never do our work for us, but but what it will do is strengthen us for the work which must be done. Prayer isn't going to do the work for us, but in it, God gives us the strength for what he is calling us to. And that resonates with me so much because there are times when I enjoy that quieter time in the morning, maybe before the kids get up and I have my cup of coffee and maybe I do spend some time in prayer and, and in the word of God, hearing from him. 
But then as things get busier and the kids come out and, you know, time moves on, it's like, ah, okay, all right. God, fill me and strengthen me for the task that you have for me today. And so after Jesus had spent intimate time with his heavenly father, then it's time he gets up, time to go to work. But notice that in all of it, what came first? That time with his heavenly father came first. And the last necessity is an intentional plan. That's what we see as we read on. It says that they told him, remember, everyone's looking for you. But notice what Jesus says to them. He didn't just get pulled back to what others wanted them to do for, for them, wanted him to do for them. He had a clear direction now on where God was calling him to go next. Verse 38. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. It says, And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So he continued on with God's plan, not plans that other people had for him, to go on to the next place because he knew that there were new needs somewhere else. There were new people that needed to encounter him, that needed to meet him, that needed to experience what he wanted to give them. New people that would put their faith and trust in Jesus and moving on to the next place. Because here's what Jesus knew. Here's what Jesus knew. He knew that there, were, there was a disease out there. A disease out there that no one else in all the universe could heal. And that's a disease that each one of us have. That disease is sin. And he knew that God had a plan for him to move on, to declare forgiveness of sins, and to, to, to rescue us, each one of us who have that disease, which is every person who has ever lived, to rescue us from that disease by ultimately fulfilling his purpose and his mission and the plan that God gave him here on this earth to go to the cross, to go to a hill called Calvary, where he would die on the cross for the forgiveness of all your sins, my sin, the sins of the whole world, all that would put their trust in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that he submitted to that plan? that he submitted to the will of his Father to benefit us, to purchase our salvation, to purchase us a spot in eternity with our Heavenly Father that one day we will be in his presence, physically in his presence, if we believe and trust in the finished work of what Jesus did for us when he came to this earth. I'm going to invite the team up as we close this morning. Jesus said, and he continued then to declare throughout his ministry as he went on from this place. We know in John 14, 6, 
He sums it up this way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only because of what Jesus did for us that we can even approach the Father, that we can have that intimate time with our Heavenly Father and to be in His presence. It says He will never leave us or forsake us. And often what it takes is to just simply be silent and to be still before Him and to acknowledge, God, I am intentionally sitting before you. Let me hear your voice. Let me clear out the noise and distractions to simply receive what you have for me in the power of your Holy Spirit and through your word and through who you are. And so as the team uh, prepares to close us in this song, I'm, I'm going to just, we're, as we transition, just leave a time of silence a time of intentional silence to just simply, for each one of us, to simply acknowledge God's presence before us and to ponder that great mystery that we can sit in his presence because of what Jesus has done for us. It says that we can boldly come to his throne. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence because Jesus has gone on before us, because Jesus stands in the gap. And so let's close in just a time of silent prayer, and as we transition into this song, just a few moments of silence before God with purpose and intentionality of him continuing to reveal himself to each one of us.